As we approach uh, God's Word this morning, we'll take a few moments to dismiss for children's worship. Uh, kids through ages third grade are welcome to head out with Alice Schlichtemeyer. Uh, she'll meet you in the back and, and take you for that time of worship. This morning's passage is uh, found in the Gospel of Mark, Mark chapter 10, will be in verses 13 through 16 this morning. I invite you to follow along as I read aloud, starting in verse 13. And they were bringing children to him that he might touch them, and the disciples rebuked them. But when Jesus saw it, he was indignant and said to them, let the little children come to me, do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And he took them in his arms and blessed them, laying his hands on them. Let's pray as we approach this time of worship through hearing God's word. Father, as we consider your word this morning, I pray that you would send your spirit to open the eyes of our hearts, that we would be able to see you more clearly in your word. God, we do thank you for this short passage, and we ask that you would not only help us to see what you are saying to your church this morning, but also that you would give us each a heart, not just to be hearers of your word, but to be doers of your word as well. We, help, we ask that you would help us through your spirit this morning, and we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this morning's passage is probably one of the more well-known stories about Jesus, isn't it? Uh, it is um, a, 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 the central part, or what seems to be the central part of this passage, that Jesus loves little children, um, has been memorialized in countless songs and, and lullabies, or at least it seems like countless songs and lullabies um, as a father of young kids. And over the past four years, I can't tell you the number of times that I have fallen asleep in the middle of the night rocking a child while singing Jesus Loves the Little Children over and over and over again. And that is certainly true in this passage, isn't it? It is very true that Jesus loves little children. And we would be wrong at the same time to conclude that that is the main point of this passage. Yes, Jesus does love little children, but he's actually using this passage to tell us something about ourselves. He's, he's saying something about entering into his kingdom, and yet all too often we can stop when we read this passage at the, uh, the example. Well, Jesus loves children. We should as well. Jesus is compassionate. Jesus is tenderhearted. Jesus is patient with little ones. Jesus loves little kids, and so therefore you should as well. And again, Jesus' love for children is on display in this passage. We're going to take a few moments later on in our time in God's Word to just consider how Jesus is an example for us in this way. But for us to stop there is to miss the main point that Jesus is making in these verses. Jesus doesn't just say, verse 14, let the little children come to me. He also uses children as an example in verse 15 of what all people should be like. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall never enter it. 
And so at its core, this passage is not primarily about children, but it's about you. It's about each and every one of us, no matter our age and how we will or will not enter into God's kingdom. And so here's Jesus' message for us this morning. Whoever does not receive the kingdom as a child will not enter it. It's basic. It's clear. It's to the point. Whoever does not receive the kingdom as a child will not enter it. So the rest of our time this morning, let's consider this passage and what exactly Jesus means when he talks about receiving the kingdom of God like a child. Short few verses this morning, they break apart nicely into three distinct parts. That's going to be our guide this morning. First, we're going to look at Jesus' instruction. Then we're going to look at Jesus' warning. And then finally, we'll spend a few moments looking at Jesus as our example. So let's jump into this passage first by looking at verses 13 and 14, Jesus' instruction. Jesus instructs his disciples, he instructs the crowds simply with, with this. It's very straightforward. If you want to enter the kingdom, you have to come like a child. If you want to enter the kingdom, you have to come like a child. Start with verse 13. And they were bringing children to him that he might touch them. And the disciples rebuked them. So here's Jesus. He's probably teaching the crowds like he oftentimes does. When people, a a very generic, ambiguous they, begin bringing their children or or children to Jesus. In Luke's parallel, he tells us that that these children are actually babies. They're infants. And that's why oftentimes we will say the, the little children. It's something that, that is, is in view here. The fact that Jesus brings us into, into his arms in verse 16, he's able to wrap his arms around them, implies that we're talking about little kids here. We're talking about infants and, and toddlers and preschoolers and, and those who are in early elementary. Of course, that doesn't mean once you hit a certain age, you age out of Jesus loving you, welcoming you into his arms. But we, we need to take a, a moment and just identify the age of these kids because it will become significant when we begin to understand or try to understand what Jesus is referring to when he says to receive the kingdom as a child. Now, significantly, I mentioned that this is a very generic they, those people. They are bringing children to Jesus. And it's worth pointing out here that at the end of this verse, when it says, and the disciples rebuked them, Who is the them? Well, it's those who are bringing the the children to Jesus, right? At the end of this uh, verse, this word them is actually masculine. It's referring to men who are bringing children to Jesus. And I think a lot of times when we we think of this passage, we we can see this as a bunch of moms bringing their kids to Jesus, right? That's the way we can oftentimes uh, interpret or fill in the details with our imagination. And yet this passage is very intentional. Hey, no, it's, it's actually men who are bringing the children to Jesus. Now, their intention is understandable. Jesus is a famous rabbi. Everyone knows about him. And so this group of people, they begin to bring children to Jesus to receive a blessing, but for some reason, the disciples here are refusing to let the people bring children to Jesus. This word rebuke is a very hard word, especially in the Gospel of Mark. It is used oftentimes to refer to Jesus casting out demons. And the disciples are using the same strength, the same force to say, stay away with your kids. Jesus doesn't have time for you. The disciples' actions are even more inexcusable considering what Jesus taught them just a chapter earlier in Mark chapter 9. Mark 9, 35 through 37. And he sat down and called the twelve and he said to them, if anyone would be first, he must be the last 
of all and servant of all. And he took a child and put him in the midst of them. And taking him in his arms, he said to them, whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. And whoever receives me receives not me, but him who sent me. So here are the disciples, just moments after Jesus has said, hey, receive children, receive people like this, and then you will be receiving me. Moments after that, they are rebuking people who are bringing children to Jesus. They, they show us very clearly, the disciples do not understand the way of the kingdom, the way Jesus' kingdom operates. And to use the language of Mark that we've seen time and time again, they are blind. The disciples do not see the way God's kingdom works. They want to follow Jesus, and yet at the same time, they're living their lives, they're, they're thinking through the paradigm of the world. They think that because Jesus is important, Jesus is the Messiah. He admitted as much earlier in Mark chapter 8. Then Jesus doesn't have time to go around blessing children. Jesus has, has got meetings with, with CEOs and, and, the, and the chief priests. He's got time to, to mingle with, with the movers and shakers of the day. Ironically, the disciples, they forget who they were before Jesus called them. They weren't movers and shakers of the day. They were fishermen, those who weren't considered smart enough to continue schooling to become rabbis. To say, or to put it simply, the disciples here, they're trying to follow Jesus, while also at the same time they, they are holding on to the way the world thinks of things. Their attitude here should be really a warning to each and every one of us, no matter our own attitudes towards children. It doesn't have to be about kids where this attitude can crop up in our lives. It is so easy for us to want to follow Jesus and yet still look at life through this lens that is really shaped and created by the world. And we see this with the disciples over and over again, don't we? Two weeks ago, we were in, in Mark chapter 9, verses 33 through 37. We saw this very clearly in that passage. The disciples, they're following Jesus. They want to follow Jesus. And yet at the same time, they're getting into arguments about who is the most important one. Jesus is about to talk about how he is going to go to the cross and die. And at the same time that Jesus is saying that, they're like, yeah, yeah, Jesus, that's okay. But who of us is the most important in your eyes? It's fine that, we, that we, we're following you as long as I don't have to be the last one in line. As long as I'm still more important than other people. And perhaps that's a struggle that you face in your own life as well. That you're fine with following Jesus, but let's be honest, a little recognition would be nice. You're, you're fine with following Jesus. You're fine with, with you're, you're willing to serve people because that's what it means to be kind. But wouldn't it be nice if people just noticed wouldn't it be nice if people uh, understood what you were doing? And wouldn't it be nice if someone served you every once in a while? And in, and in two weeks, we see this, uh, this, this second example. Mark chapter 10, the disciples are, are simply astounded that Jesus has asked them to give, every, ask someone rather, not, not them, ask someone to give everything away. To give away all of his wealth, to give away all of his possessions, all of this in order to follow him. And maybe that's a, a struggle that you face as well. That you want to follow Jesus, you want to be faithful, you want to obey, but the thought of letting go of some of your hard-earned money, the thought of giving, not just occasionally, but, but consistently, and, and sacrificially, not just in seasons of, access, of excess, that's, that's just too much for us. 
beware of the attitude of the disciples here. Beware of the attitude of these disciples who attempt to follow Jesus while still living their lives through the lens of the world. So how does Jesus respond to his disciples? Well, we see in verse 14, two things. First is a rebuke to the disciples' rebuke. And then second, he gives us our instruction. Verse 14, but when Jesus saw it, he was indignant and said to them, let the little children come to me. Do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. First, Jesus gives them his own rebuke, his own response, and he is indignant. Jesus does not just roll his eyes at the disciples, and he doesn't just say, well, slightly embarrassed, and, and to the crowds, just saying, hey, hey, you know what, don't mind them. They're, they're, they're like that sometimes, but, but let's just be honest. They'll grow on you. It took me a couple years, but, but they've grown on me if you just give them a chance. Jesus doesn't say that. He doesn't try to make excuses for his disciples. No, he's angry. And he's angry for a good reason. Remember what he said, a passage that we just read a few moments ago from Mark chapter 9. He took a child and put him in the midst of them, and taking him in his arms, he said to them, whoever receives one such child in my name receives me, and whoever receives me receives not me, but him who sent me. I don't think it's too strong to say that Jesus is disgusted with his disciples here. Just a a short time after he has said, receive children and you will be receiving me, his disciples are rebuking people for bringing children to him. And again, I just want to pause here and consider Jesus' response. Is your view of Jesus comprehensive enough to include the possibility of him, even though he still loves you, getting angry with you, getting upset with you. If your view of Jesus leaves no room for him to be indignant with you when you are not following him the way you ought, then your view of Jesus is too small. It's incomplete. As one pastor up in the Twin Cities points out, when, you, when something you love is attacked, Righteous anger flares up in protest to that. We see it all the, times, uh, all the time with, with parents when their kids are unfairly picked on or when their kids are looked over or slighted. And so why wouldn't we think that Jesus responds the exact same way with little ones who are prevented from coming to him? Yes, Jesus loves his disciples. That's why he never abandons his disciples in spite of attitudes and responses like this. He never throws in the towel and says, that's it, just get out of here. I'm going to start over. I can surely find some better disciples than you guys. Jesus never says that. He never says that to them. He never says that to you either. Indignation, this righteous anger from Jesus, it can and does coexist with Jesus' never-ending love for us. But rather than abandoning his people and rather than just letting us stay where we are, he corrects his disciples. He corrects us, his people. And that's what we see with the instruction here in the second half of verse 14. Let's read verse 14 again. But when Jesus saw it, he was indignant and said to them, let the little children come to me. Do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Here Jesus says two things. First, by saying, let the little children come, he's absolutely making a statement about how uh, how much he loves children, how much he values children. But second, and honestly more important to what Jesus is trying to communicate here, 
He uses children as an illustration of a deeper truth about the kingdom of God. He uses children as an illustration of a deeper truth about the kingdom of God. This is what he means when he says, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. In other words, the kingdom of God is for people who are like children. Now, you might be saying, well, what exactly does that mean? And we can oftentimes think, okay, well, let's look at my life and what do I think of when I think of children, when I think of little children? Was that what Jesus is referring to? One of the challenges uh, of living in our culture today is that um, that can at times not be all that helpful. We have certain views of children that make Jesus's main points not readily apparent to us, or at least not as apparent as what Jesus, uh, Jesus's point would have been to his disciples back in the first century. We live in a very child-centric culture, and so when we hear the phrase, become like a child, oftentimes our minds run to subjective understandings of what children are like, how, how children make us feel, or, or how we interact with them. There's a pastor out in Cleveland, his name is Alistair Begg, and he's, he's helpful in, in identifying the oftentimes wrong way that we approach Jesus' words. He points out that when we hear these words, become like a child, we can think, well, little kids are cute, and they're cuddly, and so if I become cute and cuddly, and if I just stop doing bad things, then I can be a part of, uh, of Jesus' kingdom. And yes, kids are cute. They are cuddly. Crystal and I can tell you, uh, over the last week or so, our, our one-year-old has just started to walk, and it is one of the most adorable things to see his older brother and sister run down the hall, and he tries to follow them, and by the time he's halfway, they're turning around and they're running the other way, and he has to, exasperated, turn back and go back to following them. We can understand that, yes, children are cute and they're cuddly, but they're not innocent. Anyone who thinks children are innocent doesn't know any children. <laughs> no, Jesus isn't speaking about subjective qualities like cuteness and, and cuddliness and, and innocence. That's sentimentalism. That is, it's something that makes us feel warm and fuzzy when we're around kids. But he's speaking about something completely different. He's speaking about objective characteristics of children in the same way he did in Mark chapter 9, verses 36 and 37. So consider, again, this is referring to little children, infants, toddlers, preschoolers. Consider a child, one-year-old, two-year-old, three-year-old, you, you pick. Children are small. Children are weak. Children are helpless. Children are at the bottom of the social order. We have an election coming up in two days. Children don't get to vote, even though they will be directly influenced by the result of that election. Little children do not get a say in decisions regarding the significant events of the life of their family. They don't get a say in, a one-year-old doesn't get a say in whether we should move to a new house or not. They don't get a say in whether mom and dad switch careers. They don't get a say in whether another family member will be added to the family. They don't even have much say in things that aren't as significant, but things that directly affect them, like choosing their own bedtime. If you took your kids trick-or-treating this past week, you probably did not send them out, at least a one-year-old, you did not send out door-to-door -door with a good luck and say, hey, you know what, the house five houses down, that's the one with the best candy. You didn't even let them, when they came home, choose as much candy as they wanted to eat once they returned. You instead were the one who chose how much they ate. Little children depend on others for transportation. They depend on others for food. They depend on others for shelter. They depend on others for medicine when they are ill. 
They depend on others to bathe them when they are dirty. They are the epitome of the needy. And so is it any wonder that Jesus welcomes them with open arms? Is it any wonder why Jesus is so upset with his disciples? Jesus says, let the little children come. Don't stop them from coming to me because they give you the perfect picture of what you also have to be like if you are going to enter into my kingdom. In other words, if you want to be a part of my kingdom, you have to recognize that you are just as needy, that you are just as dependent, that you are just as helpless as a little child is. When Jesus says, if you want to enter the kingdom, you have to come as a child, he's essentially saying you have to recognize your own helplessness, your own inability to bring anything to the table, that you need to stop deluding yourself into thinking that you have things under control, that you are moderately self-sufficient in your life, that Jesus, you know what, he's great, he's just a nice add-on to my life, nothing more than just an add-on, as we soon see. If we don't make that change, if we don't recognize that we are completely helpless, that we are in desperate need of help, then we will not be welcomed into Jesus' kingdom. It is only those who come to grips with their own helplessness to save themselves, who have a place in Jesus' open arms. If you want to enter the kingdom, you have to come like a child. Jesus restates this in the next verse, though he does so as a warning. First is an instruction, now we look at the warning. The warning of verse 15, just as straightforward as the instruction is, if you do not come like a child, if you do not become like a child, you will never enter the kingdom. Verse 15, truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. See, the promise of verse 14 is now inverted. In verse 14, come like a child, come recognizing that you are hopeless, that you need someone to save you, that you bring nothing to the table, and Jesus is going to let you in. But if you refuse to come like a child, if you refuse to do that, instead you don't come as helpless, but instead you, you are coming holding on to some measure of your own merit, you're still clinging to some of your own ability to earn God's favor, then the kingdom is beyond your grasp and you will never enter it because you can never earn it. And is there a statement from, that, that Jesus makes that is more countercultural, more offensive to our culture? Than this one. Far from Jesus saying, hey, you can do it. I'll be your life coach. Far from Jesus saying, hey, you know what? You got this relatively under control, and, and when you need me, I'm there. No, Jesus will not suffer any sort of illusion of self-sufficiency from those who would follow him. Jesus says, do you want to be a part of my kingdom? Then start by recognizing that you like a child who is helpless and powerless, are also helpless and powerless to enter my kingdom without divine intervention. Significantly, the perfect picture of what this self-sufficiency looks like or, or the warning of what not to do is found in Mark chapter 10. It's found in the next section, which we'll look at here in a couple of weeks. Mark 10, we, we're going we're gonna to study the, the story of the rich young ruler here in, in two weeks, but just consider briefly 
The terrifying contrast of coming to Jesus like a child and coming to Jesus like the rich young ruler in Mark chapter 10. Verse 17. And as he was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. And he said to him, Teacher, all these things I've kept from my youth. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him. What a powerful word. And looking at him, Jesus loved him and said to him, You lack one thing. Go sell all that you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. And disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Do you catch the contrast here? Immediately after Jesus welcomes children, even the, immediately after Jesus welcomes those who come to him childlike with this dependency upon Jesus to let them enter into his kingdom, he encounters this man who wants to enter that kingdom, who wants to inherit eternal life. He's, he's earnest in his desire to be a part of God's kingdom. But notice how the man starts. He starts by saying, what must I do? This, at its core, is the heart of self-sufficiency. Just give it to me straight, Jesus. Tell me what I got to do and consider it done. And let's consider the man's resume. That's quite impressive. He says he's kept all of the commandments since he was young. And let's, let's just assume that he has done a relatively good job. He, no one's perfect, but he does a pretty good job at that. It's almost as if this man is saying, hey, Jesus, I have all the resources at my disposal that should be required to enter into your kingdom. I have impeccable moral quality. I have willpower and discipline like you would not believe. I know my Bible really well, and, 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 and I have money to take care of things, if you know what I'm saying. So tell me what I need to do, and I will stop at nothing to make sure it gets accomplished. Now, I'm not going to lie, as I consider this man, I find him really appealing. This is a really good guy. He's, he's inspirational to me. I want to be like him, someone who is moral, someone who has their life together, someone who, who knows their Bible really well. I want to be like him, at least until I get to verse 20. Jesus responds by looking at him. And loving him. And what, a, what, a, what an important word. Gives us the context of Jesus' very stern warning in verse 15. Jesus doesn't warn people because he's vindictive, sadistic. He doesn't want to ruin your life. And he gives this warning because he loves people. Even this random passerby that will never meet again in the Gospels. And he doesn't want them to miss the kingdom. So he looks at him, and loving him, he, he says to him, there's only one thing that you are lacking, and it is the thing that is going to cost you the most. Now, we'll leave the main point of that passage, uh, to, a passage uh, to the sermon a couple weeks from now, but just consider the implications of Jesus' words here. When Jesus tells him to sell all of his possessions, if this man sells all of his possessions, if he gives away all of the proceeds, uh, to help others, then he will be, at least physically, completely and utterly helpless. 
completely and utterly dependent on others to provide for his physical needs. And Jesus says the exact same thing to us. Whatever merit we hold on to in order to stand before God, whatever accomplishment, whatever achievement, whatever quality that we possess, whatever characteristic, whatever attribute in our lives, whatever it is, Jesus says, throw it down. Cast it away. If you will not lay it down, then you will not enter into my kingdom. Consider Paul's words, Philippians chapter 3. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing, surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through, comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. And here in Mark, it's almost as if Jesus is saying, hey, can you... Can you echo those exact same words? Can you say, whatever gain I had, whatever wealth, whatever the, the power that comes with my job, the, the notoriety of my family, all of the knowledge that I have about my Bible, all of the spiritual disciplines that I am faithful in, are you able to say, I count all of that as loss for the sake of knowing Jesus? To use the language of Mark chapter 8, I crucify those things. All of them for the sake of Christ. I become utterly helpless, utterly dependent upon Jesus that I might gain Jesus and be found in Jesus. That I have nailed my self-sufficiency to the cross that by any means possible I might attain the resurrection from the dead. And Jesus' warning here in Mark chapter 10 says, if you cannot echo those words, if you cannot say, I've laid it all down to enter your kingdom like a child, then you will never enter into God's kingdom. And all too often, it is people like this rich young ruler, those who are basically good people, those who have their lives relatively together, it is those who have the hardest time coming to Jesus. It is because when people are basically good and they try to come to Jesus, they don't do so as a child. They come instead as an adult. They come ready to bargain, ready to no negotiate, ready to say, well, here's my resume, ready to pay Jesus back. And Jesus says, there is nothing that you can offer to me. The question is not, what can you offer me, but will you finally admit that you can offer me nothing? If you do not become like a child, you will not enter the kingdom. The passage ends with an example not directly related to the main point, though it is a, certainly an implication of this passage. Love children like Jesus. Love children like Jesus. Verse 16. And he took them in his arms and blessed them, laying his hands on them. Jesus closes this passage by welcoming the helpless into his arms. And Jesus' actions make it very clear to us, no one is too unimportant, including you. No one is too insignificant, including you. 
Unlike the disciples who thought Jesus' day should be spent rubbing shoulders with the political leaders and the CEOs and people like the rich young man in the, previ- or in the next passage, Jesus delights in children. He delights in people who are weak, powerless, helpless. And what a lesson for us from the God who, who also declared And he sat down and called the twelve, and he said to them, If anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. The God who declares, and Jesus called to them and said to them, You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and the great ones exercise authority over them, but it shall not be among you. But whoever would be great among you must become your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be slave of all, for even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Many of you may know the name Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Uh, Bonhoeffer was a German theologian in the um, 1920s, 30s, 40s, during uh, the rise of Nazi Germany. He was a leader in the German church uh, in opposition to the Nazi party, and it eventually resulted in his own death. He was killed because of his opposition to the Nazi party. Bonhoeffer is known as one of the most brilliant minds of the 20th century, Um, in the church. His brilliance was known from an early age, so it wasn't just something that happened later on in life, but from the very beginning, people knew that he was going places. Now, Bonhoeffer came from an affluent family. He had all the resources available to him to succeed at life. Early on in his studies, however, Bonhoeffer committed himself to ministering to children, not to adults, first and foremost, but to children. And his father and his brothers were absolutely shocked at the decision. And they told him on multiple occasions that he was wasting his life, that he was wasting his gifts and his intellect. And Bonhoeffer simply responded that if he couldn't communicate the most important truths of the gospel to children, then what good was he? Jesus loves little children. And his love is a model for each of us. Do we consider ourselves too important for children? Do we consider ourselves too smart to have our intellect wasted in the trenches of children's ministry? Do we consider children a nuisance rather than a treasure? May Jesus' words of rebuke to his disciples here be a, a challenge to all of us. It's not that we all have to serve in children's ministry, but some of us should. And all of us must love children like Jesus. What can we conclude from this passage? What does it all boil down to? I mentioned at the beginning of, the, of our time together that this passage has a very clear, concise um, summary, and it's simply this, whoever does not receive the kingdom as a child will not enter it. But I think there's a, a better way to make this really sink into our hearts, because here's the paradox of this passage. Until you recognize you deserve no place in the kingdom, you will have no place in the kingdom. Until you recognize your undeservedness for grace, until you recognize your hopelessness, your helplessness, until you recognize your great neediness for the gospel, then you have no place in God's kingdom. Until you recognize you deserve no place in the kingdom, you will have no place in the kingdom. 
This passage, it confronts our illusions of self-sufficiency. It confronts the idols of our hearts, the idols of our culture that we cling to so tightly in order for us to earn standing or approval in God's eyes and in his kingdom. And so consider what areas of our lives, what area of my life am I clinging to my own self-sufficiency? Perhaps stated another way, in what areas of my life am I refusing to become as helpless as a child? And again, Mark gives us an example, one we've already looked at. Mark chapter 10, the rich young ruler. It's probably a little too close for comfort for some of us, at least for me. We can look at our lives, and while we may not be perfect, we realize that we've done a pretty good job of living a good life, at least on the surface. And because grace is so countercultural to us, and because we so often think, what must I do to inherit eternal life, we can be like the, the rich young ruler and say, hey, that, all this stuff, it's got to count for something, right? Jesus says, lay it down. What areas of our lives are we refusing to become helpless like a child? Karl Barth, uh, another German theologian from the earliest 20th century, um, now, near the end of his life, um, Barth was, was extremely well-known. He's written thousands of pages, and, and some of it's problematic, but one of the things that he uh, said at the end of his life uh, was uh, he was asked the most important theological lesson of his life, and, and, and he said simply, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. And our passage would add the next line to that song. Little ones to him belong. They are weak, but he is strong. The kingdom belongs to little ones who know they are weak, who know they are powerless, but who know that they belong to the one who is more than powerful enough to save them. Let's pray. Lord, we confess that all too often we look to ourselves, we look to some sort of resume that we have in our lives, we look to some attribute, some characteristic, some accomplishment that we've done in our lives and say, this has got to count for something, right? And Lord, we ask for forgiveness for that type of heart. Help us to be a people who increasingly, day by day, recognize our great need for the gospel. Help us to become needy, helpless like children. To be those who recognize that the only way that we stand before you is because of the blood of your Son. Help us to, to cast down idols of self-sufficiency in our lives, whatever they may be, and to come to you as children. Help us, God. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.